Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder fam. Welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Kiran Sinha, the founder and CEO of Illumix, which is a leading augmented reality technology and media company. We're going to go really deep today and down a rabbit hole on all things augmented reality from the new opportunities of the AR landscape, her experiences of building an AR-driven company, and why you really need to be paying attention to the metaverse. Please welcome to the Founder Podcast, Kiran Sinha. So Kiran, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, 
how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Well, you know, because I founded the company, I suppose no one officially gave me my job, but I definitely fought for it. You know, my path originally was going to be very academia centric. So it was a space where there was always a clear sense of what the next step was, the research you had to do to get there. It's just a very well-defined path in many ways. And I think when I left that to start my own company, and for me, that was really driven by the work of I became basically obsessed with the idea of doing something in augmented reality and that this was really going to be the next platform. I, I believed in it so foundationally that I wanted to work in that space. And I just didn't see anyone else doing really, really committing to that in the same way that I felt needed to be. And so I decided to do it myself. And so a lot of the early days for, for me were actually defining out really proving to myself, I wanted to do a company. I spent three months committing myself completely to it before diving in officially, I would say. And that was just to see if there was anything behind it, but really gave myself some dedicated time where we were working. I think it was like 8am to past midnight, we had all kinds of wacky traditions in that time frame with the kind of first three of us that formed the company. And, you know, going out to early investors and saying, hey, we think we have something here, we have an idea, we have the beginnings of a product and getting projected <laughs> far more than not. But eventually someone saying, hey, I think this is something really interesting. But yeah, we got a lot of pushback at the beginning. And I think it actually only served to more clearly clarify to myself, this is what I wanted to do. Mm. So you started Illumix in 2017. So that was five years ago. That was before people talked about, you know, the metaverse and all these kinds of things. Um, I'm curious why AR? I think fundamentally the trend that we have seen in our society is there's been a trend towards things that are more immersive and more interactive, right? If you think about, you know, early Twitter and Facebook is all just text. And then we get to Instagram and images and TikTok and now, you know, Instagram and Meta are really more video centric. The world is becoming more immersive, more interactive. And, you know, the fastest growing segment inside of entertainment has been gaming, which is really about 3D interactivity in these immersive worlds. So it became, it was very clear to me that this was a trend that was going to continue and we were only going to become more immersive and interactive in how we engage in every activity that exists today. I think very philosophically, I fundamentally do not believe that we as humans evolved to tap screens all day. That's just not the most natural way to interact with information or to engage with entertainment. It is, I think, much more about things being in your space. That's how we're that's how we evolved, right? That's really kind of at the core of it. And so I, fun, I really believe that digital physical interaction, and that's to me, AR more than VR. And so we really focus around AR is going to be how all information is eventually presented. Yeah, I see. So when it comes to, I guess, AR, like was there much technology around in 2017? And, and talk to us about the problem and the product and what you're looking to solve. Because you describe Illumix as, I guess, the, the metaverse insurance. Yes, a little. I, I think that's how, you know, when the metaverse hype was really at its peak, we kind of joked that's what brands thought of us as because it's something with value today, but sort of guarantees that you have at least a foot in what the future might be. And I think that that's kind of uh, how we've thought about this. But from the very beginning, I think this was always at some level a tech and infrastructure play, right? It came from a belief of this is where the future is going. We believe it will be in this kind of time frame. And when you work backwards and say, 
what is missing, right? What is the bridge that gets us from what, where we are today to where we can be tomorrow? What does that company look like? That's really how we thought about this. So I think a lot of companies are born off this idea and it's very valid, huge, important companies are built off this idea of taking something today and saying, how can we make this better, right? What's the next evolved version of this? And I think the way we built Illumix was a little bit in reverse of we kind of took a long view on what does the future look like 50 years out, 10 years out, five years out, and how can we bridge and create the company that ultimately fuels that really big picture of where we're going? And so that's how we approached it. I kind of, I always think about early founders and I think in general, when you're pitching a really good litmus test is sort of the in 20 years, the world will look like X. Every company should have some some answer to that, right? Because that's ultimately the vision and almost like the mission of what you were doing. And so when we started the company, there wasn't a ton of AR tech around at that time. There had started to be pushes in that direction. We were at a time in technology where machine learning and computer vision was really at a point where we could start to leverage it on mobile devices. And that was to me the really large unlock, right? We have a supercomputer and a camera probably within two feet of our body at every given moment. And how can we leverage that to present information and experiences in a way that I think is ultimately more resonant and more valuable? Yeah, I see. So can you talk us through like what the first version of the product looked like? And, you know, what did the MVP look like? How did you bring it together? As you said, there wasn't that much uh, AR tech out there at the time. So, yeah. Absolutely. So when we first started to build, it was really building things that we wanted to exist. It was really heavily inspired for us off sci-fi. So I think the first AR applications we ever built were all highly Star Wars centric, if I remember correctly. It was us building that, you know, Princess Leia saying, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, just to say, oh, my God, we can create something using a mobile device that appears in the digital physical world. And that's just that was such an iconic moment. We thought, oh, that's really exciting. And then we sort of evolved it to how do we make this interactive, right? We just created an immersive experience. How do we make it more interactive? And what we built was, it was the training droid. It was a training droid app, quote unquote. And so the idea was you kind of activate your lightsaber and it looks like you have a lightsaber in AR. And as you turn around, there's a little droid that's shooting, that's shooting at you that you have to reflect out. And that was a really interesting kind of learning moment for us as well to see what it felt like to be the protagonist inside of a story, right? Where you were the actor functionally. And that was just really compelling. Even though it was a small little app, we learned a ton from that. So the first year or two was honestly building out different demos and pieces of technology just to learn. And I think that was probably one of the most valuable things we did early on is just have a mindset really towards learning as much as possible, getting your hands dirty, we tested it with a ton of people, you know, in, in the Palo Alto and Stanford area. You know, I was basically uh, going around functionally soliciting random people to say, hey, do you want to try this? You know, take my phone and try this, try this crazy app and see how you react. And, you know, we, we were just really in a headspace of learning a lot. And then by the time we got funded, there was a more, cl- we had learned a lot. We had a lot of clarity on the product. And that first true product that we released was a game. And that was uh, Five Nights at Freddy's AR, which is a, survival horror augmented reality game Mm, so cool so um how'd you start working with disney so we were lucky enough to be accepted into their accelerator in the 2021 group uh it was very exciting for us as i mentioned you know early days we were obviously very inspired by disney's combination of 
storytelling and new technology, which I think is really at the foundation of what that company does phenomenally well. And so it was a great opportunity to, you know, take some investment from them to learn from that experience and uh, ultimately see how augmented reality could be applied in this more general way to storytelling in the future. Yeah. Wow. So um, I'm curious, like uh, when it comes to, I guess, funding, how much have you raised up until this point? At this point, it's about 30 million. Yep. Okay. And is it really uh, like most of most of your resources goes into development, right? It's not really into marketing. It's it's all product, right? It's all product. It's all headcount, really, right? It's into the team that ultimately builds the product, and that's the majority of our operating expenses. When it comes to, I guess, uh, building a company like what you're building, and now with the metaverse being a a hot topic, still a hot topic. I know it's. You said it, it's peaked. It, it peaked, and now it's died down a bit. Where do you see the metaverse and this industry going? So the the hype cycle around the metaverse has been highly interesting. I think it's been really valuable in that it got a lot of people who might not have otherwise been thinking about what's next, what's past this way that we interact today, which is kind of chained behind screens. What does the where are we going? I think that it really opened up that conversation and started to make every company and individual and really everyone think about where are we going as a society? How will this evolve what we're doing today? And that's where I think a lot of brands started to think more deeply about what is their future strategy and how can they start making moves towards that today? And that was really valuable. I think where the metaverse as a term can become confusing is that often people don't know what they're talking about with it, right? This idea of Web3 and the metaverse, how are they related? They became highly intertwined with this idea of crypto or all VR um, often. So this idea of a fully virtual immersive world. And I think it's much broader than that. At a very broad level, I would define the metaverse as, you know, this, it's certainly a digital world, but I think it can appear in our physical world. I think this idea of a real world metaverse, something where information rather than being locked into your phone is something that's more naturally presented in front of you. So for example, maybe shopping in a website no longer looks like scrolling through 2D images, ordering something and sending it back if it doesn't fit, but actually looks like scrolling through a website where you can actually see these items on you as it goes through, know if something's going to look good on you, know if something's going to fit. That's a just much more natural experience, I think. And ultimately, you know, is better for the consumer, better for the brands, better for the environment. That's, I think, how I think about the future is what is that evolution around 3D interaction? Yeah, look, there's no doubt that that's where things are going. I'm curious because you're kind of, you know, you talked about the vision and of your company in 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now where you see that your company going and the vision. Um, how long do you think it would take for us to get to a place where like if you're shopping on, you know, a, a fashion website like Fashion Over and you can actually see the clothes on you? Oh, I think we're within 10 years. I don't think that's a 50 years out kind of thing. When I think when we talk about 50, 30 years, that's when we're talking about, for me, significant innovations at a hardware level or manufacturing level. We're really talking about maybe there's contact lens or glasses, and that is harder to predict when that will really be at a point at which it's on everyone's face or you know accessible to everyone's eyes at some point. But if we talk about our existing hardware platforms, what can be done with the desktops we have today, the phones, which are 
increasingly powerful year after year, have better cameras, depth sensing cameras, numerous cameras, what can be done with that? I, I would guess within five years, we're actually going to be at a point at which everything that we see right now that's a 2D image will actually be 3D interactive and something you can try on. So I think I think we're closer than people realize to that vision. Yeah, crazy. So how should businesses be looking at what the future is going to be and in terms of the metaverse, how should they be, I guess, investing right now? What should they be thinking about? It's of course, you know, it of course varies business to business, but I would say the biggest piece that I feel very confident will be a part of the future that still is a gap for some businesses today is thinking about investing in 3D assets over 2D assets. So a lot of how, you know, whether it's in shopping or even sometimes in entertainment, a lot of things are done in 2D because it's easier, kind of cheaper, and it's been historically how things have been done. I think what we're starting to see more and more is a move towards 3D. And you can see this in some websites already are at 3D, if not fully immersive AR, where you can configure something or look at different colors of it. And we're kind of making motions slowly, slowly towards that. But I think today, if I were thinking about someone's design process or manufacturing process or you know marketing and even just consumer level um, exposure, I would lean in much more heavily to 3D. There's no doubt to me the metaverse and this next version of the internet is much more 3D than it is 2D. Talk to us about like what a digital twin is and how it can help e-commerce businesses. Sure. So a digital twin is really just the digital version of something that exists. So at a very, at a huge level, there could be a digital twin of the building or of the city or, you know, the world. But at a product level, it might be that if you have a pair of shoes or a ring that you're selling in a store, there's a digital 3D version of it that exists online. And there are numerous ways this can be leveraged, right? Like you can use this to share inside of these specific metaverse type of game platforms. If it's inside of Roblox, this can be something you use on your website to allow people to engage and interact almost as though they're there in real life, the way you would maybe pick up a shoe and try it on or look at it from different angles that should be available kind of through the digital experience. And, you know, of course, there's the further kind of Web3 crypto component of it, which I won't get too much into yet. But, you know, there is that kind of possibility as well of ownership of a 3D asset. But at minimum, it's a utility that consumers can use today. But that's really what a digital twin is. Something that exists in the real world has a version that exists in this virtual plane. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Excuse my naivety. I just know that uh, you know so much about this space and so many people don't. So it's just kind of, I know that might be a uh, a basic question for you. No, it's always good to establish, I think, what words mean. Even you'd be shocked, like even amongst people who really think about this often, because it's such a new space, there's all kinds of vocabulary that's being developed and evolved over time. So in general, I think it's great to establish what we're talking about right up front. Oh, good. So I want to switch gears. I want to talk about your experiences building Illumix. Um, you know, you, you're, you're in San, you were in San Fran. You said you're in Miami now. But uh, why, why, why choose to build an AR startup versus joining a big tech company? For me, the motivation was never necessarily, I want to run a startup, right? Running a startup is uh, very difficult. And I, I think I in general recommend that people really think about whether that's the right path because it's, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of sacrifice. It's incredible hours and stress. And it 
never lets up. And that's a real thing. You know, we're five years in now and it's in some ways I feel like it gets more difficult, but it, it or maybe just the flavor of difficult evolves over time, but it doesn't get easier is really the reality here. For me, it was, you know, we did, I did speak with some of the big tech companies and I felt very passionately about augmented reality. And for me, it was very specifically around outer camera work, meaning a lot of what, for example, Snap does with augmented reality is very much face centric, right? It's like the selfie social application, which makes perfect sense for what they do. But when we were looking to start this company, again, with that headspace towards where does the future go? We felt that 30, 50 year out mark or even 20 year out mark was going to have some kind of glasses or kind of evolution of the way we can interact with the camera and the computer in such a way where actually the most important thing wasn't the selfie, but actually the external facing camera. And five years ago, no one was doing that, right? There was really nobody outside of maybe Pokemon Go, which was truly more of a location-based game than augmented reality. There really wasn't anything out there that was heavily investing in augmented reality. If there was, I think I would have joined a team, but we really didn't find anything or at least I really couldn't find anything early on where I felt like, yes, this company is committed to this. This is a real vision of the future that I can participate in. And eventually, I think if you believe enough in something, you you feel like you have to do it no matter what. And so I decided I would just do it and set out on my own for it. Mm, so you scratch your own itch. Scratch, scratch. Yeah, exactly. You scratch your own itch, which is, uh, I think you do as a founder really need to believe in what you're doing because there's so many moments where you're tested to say is this the right path for you is this really what you want to do and it's this this blend between needing to be very confident in your vision but also sort of humble and at least questioning enough like approaching the science like your own scientific method on yourself to say am i building the right thing am i doing this correctly has the data changed where maybe i need to adjust what that vision is so i think that's always a challenging balance but early on in particular i think for founders the first two years you just have to go for it completely, like completely build out the vision, learn as much as you can. And I think you typically have some indication of whether you have something that's resonating or not, I think within the first year or so. What was that moment for you in that first year that you knew you were onto something? For me, it was when we did the first play tests for the Five Nights at Freddy's game. It was really early on. I mean, this was it was barely built out as a game. I think there was one model inside of it. It was you know, it didn't even end up being the end game mechanics necessarily that we use, but the goal of the game was to basically it's to frighten someone to make them believe that there's this ghost or this creature in the room with them, even if you can't see it. And there was a lot of question at some at some level of does that work with augmented reality? Because you can just look outside your screen and realize there's nothing there. So how can you really be scared if you're in the middle of the day in a brightly lit room and you know, you know, nothing is there. And so we wanted to test that really early on with a variety of inputs. And what we saw from that first play test was when I felt in my heart, absolutely, there is something here where people were holding up their phone. And I'll never forget, like, backing themselves into the corner of the room where they're literally back up against the corner with their phone up, believing that there is something there that is coming for them. It was this incredibly visceral behavior of wanting to almost run or escape that we had created with this kind of new technology. And that that is a real emotional connection, right? That is when you know you have tapped in on something that is really core to, I think, who we are as humans and that belief. And it, it was incredibly powerful. I think that emotional connection we saw with people 
made it clear to me that this was going to be a wave. It's sort of, it's, it's the difference between how do you feel when you see a dog in a video, right? It's very cute and you might feel a connection to it compared to how, but then think about how you feel if you see a puppy in real life. It's a completely different level of interaction and connection when it's there with you, when you feel connected with it, when you feel like you can feel its energy. And I think that to me was the distinction of what we were creating with augmented reality versus traditional entertainment to that point of, it's not that the video of the dog isn't cute. It's that when you're with it in real life, it's a completely different layer of experience. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. This made me think, was Pokemon Go around back then? Was that before or after? It was before. Very briefly before is what I would say. It was like the summer or so beforehand because I remember very vividly when I first moved to San Francisco in 2016 and I was talking to people about this idea of augmented reality and I was laughed out of every room. Everyone thought I was absolutely insane. And then Pokemon Go came out and everyone was very interested in the space all of a sudden. And then, you know, then the space cooled down again. And I would say if 50% of people think you're out of your mind when you're pitching something, you probably have a big idea. So I would never be discouraged by that, right? If you have something that's consensus that everyone thinks is brilliant, then you might not have as big an idea as you think it is. You actually want something that where people are on the edge about whether this is going to work or not, especially early on. So I wouldn't shy away from that. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And let's talk about funding. So Michael Bay got involved in funding you guys. Can you tell us about how that came about? Early on, Lightspeed was the first uh, VC to fund us. And so we had started right right in those pre-seed days when we were just doing those demos and those learnings uh, with their backing. And it was in that round where Media 451, which is, you know, one of Michael Bay's companies started to get involved. And I think we had just met one of the founders there who really, I think, was looking at where does the future of entertainment go? Right. And there's, I think, several people inside of Hollywood have a really good sense of this because in general, entertainment is a field that I think has actually it's evolved tremendously. Right. Over the last 50 years, the kind of technology and the output of what is capable inside of these fields has been tremendous. And what we've seen, actually, I find really interesting inside of entertainment is this blend of technology company versus media company has really I think started to converge, right? Netflix is really in some ways a technology company, but then really started to produce content. Apple is probably in the same bucket. And then you have someone like a Disney who's certainly more of a, you know, storytelling company, but has Disney Plus. So that's more on the streaming side, but you see it applied inside of studios, which, you know, Michael Bay operates in. 
and you know you see it applied inside of real life physical experiences and so i feel like media and entertainment was a sector that really understood the potential of what we were building they could really see what the end consumer experience would be and why that would be valuable and so that was uh something important for us to realize early on and can you tell us like uh, i guess for all the rounds that you've gone through of fundraising what you've learned about yourself I think I've learned I'm more resilient than I perhaps knew even prior to this. I think it, you have to be really resilient to fundraise. We fundraised in different environments, right? In huge booms and then also, you know, during kind of some of the bear cycles. And so we've had a variety of experiences through that. But I think what it comes down to is everything is storytelling. That's probably one of the biggest things. Everything is storytelling. I think the second piece of it is really control on your mental state as a founder. It is hard to go day in and day out and pitch something that you believe in and you've poured your life into and have someone say, meh, I'm not convinced. It's hard for anyone, no matter how much you do it, it's hard every time. And I think the way I framed it, that really helped me, I did two things mentally. And one was, I told myself, it's really a mutual decision, right? So I went into VC meetings, not just thinking about, hey, I'm trying to sell them and I want them to like me, but, I want to know if I like them. So spending some time actually getting to know them made it much more conversational. It made it feel to me much more like, is this a good fit, right? It's almost like going into a date with the idea of I want them to love me versus I actually want to know you and see if this is something going somewhere. So I think flipping your headspace and thinking about it as a real relationship, because if it moves forward, it will be, really takes the pressure off. Because then if it doesn't work out, I think at some level you can say, you know, it's not a good fit. And that's not what you want. At the end of the day, you actually want VCs that really believe in you and that really see the vision and really want to be alongside you for that journey. So I think that was one thing I did early on that helped. And what I did in the kind of our more recent funding rounds that helped is I think reframing how you think about no. No, it never feels good to hear no. But if I told you today you were 50 no's away from hearing a yes, how fast would you run at those no's? I would be going meeting after meeting, knowing for sure if you guaranteed that at the end of some finite number of no's, it might be two no's away, it might be 10 no's away, it might be 100 no's away, but there will be a yes, you wouldn't worry. You wouldn't stress on those no's because you know there is a yes coming. And I think by telling myself I am whatever number, right? Uh, I'm only 20 no's away from getting a yes. It made me really unafraid to go into those meetings. It made me really unafraid to hear no. And I think it actually made it more likely that I was going to hear a yes, ironically. Yeah, a big part of, I guess, building anything of true worth and significance is that resilience, but also the mindset required. Um, one time somebody really successful once said to me, they said like, Nathan, if you want to build a billion-dollar company, do you believe you can? If I said yes, then that's half the battle won. Um, so I'm curious, like, what are you doing from a mindset perspective to cultivate this sense of belief in yourself and what you're building? Absolutely. I think it's a, it's a necessary, it's probably necessary, but not sufficient, right? Like condition to actually becoming a multi-billion dollar company. And so I think you have to believe it in your core because there are too many moments in your journey as a startup where you are gonna feel like you are failing or that you have failed or that you can't get there, right? Like I think it's 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 really amazing to me always when you talk to other founders or you hear about these big companies and their business stories, for example, where 
the number of times it felt like they were going to go under or that the company was in existential danger, or it, it's never as smooth as what you kind of read in the news. There's always really deep stuff. And I think a lot of what you struggle with as a founder is a sense of, of fear and isolation. And if you, at the end of the day, don't believe that you are going to get through that, if you are looking at your runway and saying, I'm never going to make it, and you don't believe for sure my company is going to be that winner, I don't think you ever could. I don't, there's just too many opportunities to lay down the sword. And if you don't really know in your heart that you're going to get there, I don't think you will. I mean, I, the quote I always go back to in my head, it's a Walt Disney quote, but it's, uh, you know, the difference between winning and losing is often not quitting, right? That's, I think, really what it comes down to is you cannot quit no matter how, how discouraged you, you can feel. And I think that a lot of that comes down to believing that you're going to make it, that you're going to be the exception. If we all listen to stats, there would be no founders. It would be an insane thing to do, right? So 99% of companies fail. And no, no one would sign up for that. The only way for people who really make it through, I think, is to you have to believe from the very get-go that you are the 1%. You know, you have to believe you're you're the one that's going to get through. And I think that comes from belief in the idea. I think that comes from belief in yourself um, and just pushing through whatever walls are in front of you. And I think, you know, throughout the journey of the company, it's always, of course, encouraging to have moments of, of validation, right? I think setting those mini goals and seeing yourself hit them and even sometimes it's seeing the challenges and knowing that you survive and get through them, that creates confidence, right? I think people, either way, I think when you set goals, if you make it, it's a confidence booster. And if you don't and life moves on, you realize you can keep going. And I think that that's an important thing. People are often afraid of setting something that means they're either going to succeed or fail because it's a scary moment. But I think it's really important to run into those things. Yeah, I agree. You raise a really good point around goals. How do you guys set goals in uncharted territory in new technology? It's exceptionally difficult, right? It is really hard to set specific goals of when you want to do it. And so I think it's for us, goal setting is more around what's the action item when we learn something. So we frame it as learning. So at this point, what will we have learned? And therefore, what can we do differently about the company should take this action or continue to invest in this R&D or switch courses, right? So we really set it around this is what we want to see happening live in the tech, or here's the demo we want to try out and then know what our action item is going to be from it. So, and, and then some of it has to be, especially since now we're in a slightly slightly further stage where you're really thinking about scaling and you have more OKR centric metrics and goals to look at. I think it's, uh, you know, the way we go for it is we take really aggressive goals and we might not always hit that, but I think it's really important to have a path at least have a path and communicate and really try to align people behind a big goal. I actually think people are more excited to try to hit big goals than little kind of incremental goals. Most people join a startup because they want to win. They want to be a part of something impactful. They want to make progress, right? Why else would you, you know, that's a big motivation we see in a lot of people. Everyone wants to have purpose and something to, to fight for, right? And I think when you set those really large goals, I mean, assuming it's not demotivating because it's so out, out there, it can be inspiring, right? It gives everyone a target. I think that's really important. I really believe everyone wants to feel fulfilled and feel, feel purpose. And, and that's not just the founder. I think that's what's so important is a lot of, 
it's not just on you, your company's culture, your team, your success, it's not on you. It's on your, it's on everyone around you. It's a team effort and goal. Yeah, I agree. Talk to me around, I want to talk about vision and leadership and uh, then we'll move to the hot seat round. But I'm curious when it comes to the vision you have for Lumix, how do you know when investors or team members are really bought in? It's a really good question. I think some of it is you can tell in their reaction. And, you know, for, for teammates, I go back to kind of more in-person moments where you can really tell that they believe in what they're doing. It's obviously something we look for in, you know, even for us at the hiring level of why do you want to join? What's different here, right? What what makes you tick? I think there's some level of trying to understand, and it doesn't have to all be the same reason. It's can't. It's not always. I believe augmented reality is 100% the future. It might be. I really want to make an impact on an important new technology. It can be. I want to design something that's totally new for a consumer experience. But really understanding how everyone molds into that vision and being able to paint for them how their personal purpose maps onto the company purpose. I think that's really important, especially in a remote world. Those are the two words we've centered around culturally is purpose and progress of, you know, I don't think uh, more Zoom happy hours necessarily make people feel more connected to a company. I, th- I don't think, I think we've all learned that the hard way at some point during COVID, but it really is. If people understand what you are trying to accomplish as a company, how it ties into what they are trying to accomplish as people and what they are working on day to day, that's a really strong form of connection. And I think that's a really meaningful form of connection for people. And so that's really how we've thought about those pieces. On the investor front, you can often tell if they actually move forward and give you money. That's probably the most obvious answer there. If they hand over money, they probably believe in the vision of what you're doing here. But uh we make a big deal focusing on investors that aren't just looking at the metrics, right? Aren't just looking at what we have done. I think too much reliance on proof points in the past can sometimes worry me because it is a big uncertain future for us. There's lots of new technology. I know there are bumps in the road that can come and we want investors that are going to be there for the long term. And so we really talk to investors about how they think about timeline for this, for augmented reality, for the metaverse, for all of these pieces. Do they believe this is an inevitability? What, what do you think is going to make companies fail or not fail in that space? It's almost it's almost like grilling them on their beliefs and their understanding to make sure we're choosing people that are really aligned with us on vision and understand at some level where all of this is going and why I think that your investors have to believe at some level that your success is an inevitability. I, I'm Now you got me really curious. Um, you talked about purpose before with your team. I was challenged or I was, I, I, we had a leadership uh, team building session the other week and uh, our leadership coach, he does a lot of stuff with teams and football teams and high-performing teams, sports teams. And he asked the whole company, does everybody know what founder's purpose is? And a lot of people struggled. Like I'll, I'll say honestly, a lot of people struggled and then that's when I realized that we needed to do more work on our purpose and really making sure that that is communicated across the business and everyone could recite the purpose. And they also say that, you know, a true test of a company is like, can anyone in the company recite the company, not just the company's purpose, but also the company's strategy? What's your take there? Yes. I think that's really important. I say, I think that especially in a remote community, but I think more broadly, you should say 
who you are as a company, what is your goals and what is the strategy to hitting those goals at every single all hands. We're really hitting that pretty hard right now, especially kind of in this new phase of growth of saying, look, here's our goal. Here is our exact strategy on how we get there. Here are the kind of different ways this can play out. This is why we have that strategy, but having everyone in your company aware and bought in on that and knowing, hey, you know, every year kind of as a birthday, all hands, we do a what 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 have we said at different points and how has that evolved of, you know, at the very year zero, right? When we talk about it, we just, I think our vision was to be like the biggest, most important AR consumer company. So not terribly well-defined, but we were like, AR consumer is the future and we're going to be it, right? And, and how that has evolved over time to be something more specific around being the infrastructure powering all of these AR interactions focused at an end consumer. It's not that different. It's slightly more refined, but we really have pushed that and made sure everyone understands everything that we're building in some way is related to that. We go through every project and say, how does this relate to our company goals? How does this relate to who we are as a company? How does this relate to our company strategy? We talk about that in front of everybody so that they can really see. And I think especially as a small company where your advantage is certainly not in resourcing, right? Over a big incumbent, the advantage is that you've got small, you know, a small group of talented and passionate people who are all aligned towards the same purpose. That's the power right there. You can be more nimble, you can move more aggressively, you can learn faster because you are smaller and more aligned. But if any, you know, if, if you're not more aligned, if you're actually just a smaller group of people trying to muddle through through the noise, you'll never make it. And so I think it's really important to say it over and over again. I also think you have to be flexible when that changes, right? Sometimes a company's strategy changes. Sometimes your purpose could even evolve. Sometimes, you know, your goals evolve. And I think being honest about what changed, why you cha why you've changed it is important as well. I think, you know, just honor your conversation about purpose. I don't think purpose is static. Purpose can evolve over time. Purpose can evolve, you know, in your life over time of what you feel your personal purpose is, what the company's purpose is, all of that can continue to evolve. And I think not being afraid of that and constantly checking in with yourself and saying, what is the purpose today? What's my purpose today? I think is a really valuable exercise. Yeah. And I think it, that takes courage as, as, as leaders to be able to kind of say, Hey, like we're changing direction. Cause it feels like you definitely don't want to be this person that's just scatterbrained. I think that it's, you know, you're flexible on if flexible on how you get there, but clear on your end goal is how we like to think about it. Yeah. I love that. All right. Couple last questions. Um, as a leader, what does the art of listening mean to you? I actually believe how you listen is built into your habits. So for example, at Illumix, I always speak last in every meeting. I allow everyone to speak before me when we talk about new hires, when we talk about new strategy, because I want people to, I want to be able to listen and synthesize what people are saying without, you know, when you're the founder or you're the CEO and you give your opinion up front, everyone's going to align behind it at some level, it's natural. People align behind your business. So I, I actually think the art of listening is about taking a step back and actually creating the space and creating the habits and systems to allow yourself to listen effectively. Awesome. Well, look, uh, we're going to move to the hot seat round, conscious of your time. Uh, this has been great. First question I have for you is who's your favorite fictional character and why? I'm going to have to go with Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. I'm a total, total Harry Potter nerd. I think why, you know, Harry Potter to me, 
you have a misunderstood outsider who goes into a totally different world and has to kind of find his way. And ultimately it's a classic hero's journey. And I think there's something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to about that. I think feeling out of sorts in every world that you're in a little bit feeling maybe isolated, but having to believe you're special and you have some kind of power to solve something that others can, I think is, is part of the gig. What personality trait do you admire most in leaders? For me, the quality I admire most in leaders is when they're humble. I think it's really important when people can admit their own mistakes and do that publicly. I think it's really difficult, especially in leadership and management to do, but I think it, at least for me, I respect it so much when I see that happen. If you started your business today, what would you do differently? I really feel like one of the biggest learnings I've had, especially over the last five years, has been having this headspace of putting putting things off in my real life, quote unquote, for the business saying, oh, in a year it will be more stable and then I'll be able to focus on other things or, oh, I'll just push through for another three months. Oh, you know, by the next round, everything will be different. And I think now that we're five years out, I have a lot more clarity on it's always hard. It never becomes more stable. The, you know, the type of challenges you face evolve certainly over time, but it's not just, oh, when I'm done with the raise, then I'll be able to relax. It's actually something where I think you need to build balance and some sense of stability in your broader life in from the very beginning. It never gets better. I honestly believe that right now. The, the stress and the fear and, you know, the instantly changes, but it's always there. What's something you've learned today? And I know it's the end of your day, so. This might be recency bias, but I just got out of a meeting where someone said at the end, you know, we're, we're making a presentation to some executives and the kind of takeaway I had in the learning was the goal when I'm pitching to them is actually to make, to not present my ideas, but to walk them to like, to inspire them to create their own ideas. And that that is actually what real success looks like when the kind of business partner becomes so invested that they're coming up with concepts versus you pitching something that's your version of the world. And that that's really when you know you have a successful meeting. So that was something that I'm kind of taking with me and think, rethinking about how I'm going to do that presentation to get their buy-in at that level. Awesome. That's a great one. Last question. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? There are so many that I would love to talk to, but I actually, I would choose Walt Disney personally. I think to me, for me as someone who really thinks a lot about like media tech in particular, I think he is probably one of the most innovative people at thinking about the way information or entertainment is going to be presented in the future and actually really building out the technology and the storylines. And I think one of the most extraordinary companies in the world in order to get there. The longevity of it really boggles my mind. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, right? Like I actually think that he's he's done more for collective happiness and inspiration and for, for the world than probably almost any individual. Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Kieran. That was incredible. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, we can wrap there. If you're ever in Melbourne, feel free to reach out. It'd be great to connect further. Otherwise, uh, thank you again for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And let me know if you're ever in Miami. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, 
and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.